Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Ken Ham continues his look at evolution's deadly effects, and we're celebrating anniversary month today with ministry president, Dr. Kenneth Hill. Studio 50, our project to update our recording studio equipment and software, has now reached over 50% of our goal. We say thank you to everyone who has helped us get over the halfway mark. You can give by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can give online swrc.com. Thank you. Let's join our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino and Ken Ham as they continue their conversation about the dangerous effect evolution has had on our culture. Ken Ham, along with Charles Ware, they've written One Race, One Blood, The Biblical Answer to Racism. Ken, thank you so much for being our guest. Hi, it's great to be with you. Well, as we begin, what is basically the biblical answer to racism? You know, it's interesting. I really got into this topic because in 1974, which feels like millions of years ago now, I was a school teacher. That was my first appointment as a science teacher in a little country school west of Brisbane in Australia. And I was teaching the students about creation because I had the freedom to do that in the public schools then. And one day I was telling them about the fact that we didn't evolve from ape-like creatures, but we all go back to Adam, we're all one race, and talked about the Tower of Babel and how as a result of that we ended up with different language groups and different nations and ethnic groups and so on. And it was interesting, at the end of the class there were some of the Aboriginal children, three Aboriginal girls actually, I remember, who came up to me and said, Sir, please tell us more. And then I realized that, of course, you know, Darwinian evolution, if you read Darwin's book on the descent of man, the one that followed the origin of the species, he talks about some of the groups being closer to apes than others, and the Australian Aborigines, for instance, he said, were basically the missing links between apes and humans. And, you know, they were treated terribly as a result of Darwin's ideas, and even people from Germany and England, scientists sent certain people to Australia to hunt down the Aborigines, to boil up their skulls, had instructions on how to skin them and so on as specimens for evolution. About 10,000 Aboriginal graves were desecrated. So that really made me realize how important this topic is to teach people we're all one race biologically. We're all related to each other. We're all equal before God. We all have the same problem, sin, of course. And we all need the same solution, Jesus Christ. And so really the biblical answer to racism is the true history of the humankind as given in the Bible. And by the way, science actually confirms it. When the Human Genome Project mapped the human genome in the year 2000, they released their results to the world. And they said after looking at human genes from different groups all around the world, they concluded there was only one race. Well, we could have told them that. In fact, we were telling them that. And you see, we all go back to Adam, and we're all one race biologically, which means that we're all family, and we're all one big family. We're all related to each other. Even you are related to me. <laughs> goes back to Noah, goes back a few years maybe, but we actually are all related to each other. And that's the beginning of dealing with issues of racism and what a difference that makes. And I think the other thing is to understand 
that really because we're all sinners, it means we're all alienated from God, which means none of us deserve anything. And so when it comes to looking at, you know, people saying, oh, what about the injustices of the past and talking about social justice and all the rest of it, I think really once you understand that we're all sinners, we deserve nothing, we've rebelled against a holy God and we're all members of the human race, but God stepped into history to be a member of the human race, to be a member of the human family, to be our relative, to die for us, to take the place of the first Adam, he's called the last Adam, to die on a cross, be raised from the dead, and then offers us a free gift of salvation. I mean, he paid it all. You realize, wow, that's the message for the world. I deserve nothing. It's not a matter of looking at injustices of the past or anything like that. It's a matter of looking at the forgiveness that Jesus Christ gives us because of what he did on the cross and how we need to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. What a difference it makes when you start to view the human race that way. Amen to that. That's so beautifully spoken, so relevant. You know, people think, well, what does Genesis have to do with me? It has a lot to do with each and every one of us. And I think that there are many who are not aware of the fact that Charles Darwin expressed the opinion that he would rather be descended from a monkey than from a so-called savage. And it seems like Darwin had a problem with dark-skinned people. He used words like savage, low, and also degraded. I think Darwin was a racist. Darwinian evolution is inherently a racist philosophy. Now, evolutionists today don't like to hear that, and they'll try to deny that. And here's the thing. Most people have never read Darwin. I mean, the majority of people, the majority of secularists, majority of Christians have never read Darwin. When I do presentations at the Ark Encounter or the Creation Museum, we have auditoriums at both places, or I'm out in the field speaking, I often ask people, how many of you have read The Origin of Species, which was the book that sort of popularized the idea of Darwinian evolution. Darwin wrote a number of different books, but the two classic ones that deal with this, the two for which he's most famous for are The Origin of Species, and I find most people have never read that. I might find two or three hands sometimes in one big auditorium. And then I ask, how many of you have read the book that he wrote 12 years later called The Descent of Man? And I usually find hardly anyone has read that. And yet that's the book that details the evolution of the humankind from, you know, from an evolutionist perspective, the supposed evolution of humans. And in The Origin of Species, of course, it only talks about animals, but at the end of that book, he says he intends to apply this to humans. And then he does in The Descent of Man. And when you read through that and you read some of the statements that he made about people with dark skin from Africa and the Australian Aboriginal people calls them primitives and basically they're close to the apes and savages and just the terminology that he has in there and they're not mentally as advanced as those that have light skin and all the rest of it. I mean, it really is a racist philosophy. It fuels racism. And people don't realize that. You know, it's interesting, back in 1925, the famous Scopes trial occurred in Dayton, Tennessee. And that's a whole other story, of course, but it supposedly had to do with a teacher teaching evolution in school, but it was really a setup by the ACLU to try to come against Christianity. But at the time of the Scopes trial, one of the main biology books that was used in the public schools in America, and it's a book supposedly from which John Scopes taught, although he was only a fill-in teacher and it was only a fill-in class and he really 
wasn't teaching from the book. A lot of people had the wrong idea about the Scopes trial. But regardless, one of the main public school textbooks used in the biology classes in the public school was by a man called Hunter, and it actually stated in there, based on Darwinian evolution, there are five races of humans, and the highest race being the Caucasians. So if you went to the public schools and in a biology class and used that public school textbook in the 1920s, you would have been told by your teachers that the Caucasians, those with light skin, are actually the highest race and are higher than people who have dark skin. I mean, how is that for instilling racism in generations of kids in the public school? And that's one of the reasons why, you know, in this new book as, as well, One Race, One Blood, one of the things that detail in there is the fact that actually there aren't any white people and there aren't any black people that were all the same skin color. It's just a matter of how much of the pigment melanin that our genes produce in our skin and to help people understand that we're all the same in that regard. And it's not a matter of what color skin we have, it's a matter of what shade we have. And because of the Tower of Babel, when God gave different languages, as people moved away from each other, some had genetic combinations to produce a lot of melanin in their skin, some not as much. But again, to help us understand, we're all one family, you know, and the divisions that we have in the human race from a perspective of our physical world are actually divisions dealing with different ethnic groups, cultural groups, because of the Tower of Babel. But the biggest division that we need to look at is the spiritual division, those who are for Christ and those who are against, those who are saved and those who are not. There's two spiritual races, but there's only one biological race. Amen. Well, I've heard it said that the average high school student in America today knows more science than Charles Darwin ever knew. And so we certainly have to be very careful when reading Darwin. He really was not a scientific authority. But my question is, why then do so many leading scientists accept evolution as a proven scientific fact? Well, you know, it really comes down to the fact that this is a spiritual issue. I mean, we can't ignore the spiritual aspect of all this because from a perspective of looking at observational science, I mean, it's ludicrous to believe in evolution. I mean, evolution is the idea that, you know, life arose from non-life. I mean, Darwin even talks about that. And life is built up on DNA. DNA is that molecule of heredity. It has all the information that builds a human or a dog or a cat or, or whatever. And, and all that information is read by a code system. Codes only come from an intelligence. You know, DNA actually has the information to make the code to read the information. And it's interesting, information can't arise from matter by itself. There are zillions of bits of information, not just millions, not just billions, not just trillions. There's an incredible amount of information in the DNA and living things across this planet. And we've never observed matter produce one little bit of information, let alone the zillions that are there. And then matter can't produce a code so life had to come about from an intelligence. I mean, really, the study of biochemistry confirms in the beginning God created. But you see, the Bible tells us that we are sinners and people are in rebellion against God and that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them, those who don't believe. I mean, there are places in Scripture, like in Second Peter 3, where it says people are willingly ignorant or deliberately reject the truth that God created and there was a flood and there's going to be coming judgment 
when Christ returns, it comes down to a spiritual issue. These people don't want to believe. If you don't want to believe in a creator God, and I believe it really comes down to the fact that would mean God owns them, God sets the rules, God determines what's right and wrong, God has told us marriage is one man and one woman, God has told us there's only two genders, male and female, but if you don't, don't want to believe that, you want to be your own God, which is what Adam and Eve did, Genesis 3, you will become like God. In other words, our sin nature is we want to be our own God, then to reject the God of creation, you've got to come up with some evolutionary ideas to try to explain life. And that's why so many reject. And remember, there's more on the broad way than the narrow way. Men love darkness rather than light. And that's why the majority of scientists reject creation and believe evolution. I do want you to say a few things about the Ark Encounter. Tell us how people can find out more and what's there. Well, the Ark Encounter is a life-size Noah's Ark. It's one of the two leading Christian attractions in the world, the themed attraction. The other one is the Creation Museum. And I'm at the Ark Encounter right now, actually looking at my office window, looking at it. It's the biggest timber frame structure in the world, and we have a zoo, and we have all sorts of other features as well, and the big conference center. And people can come and go through all three levels of the Ark. There's 180-plus exhibits and it answers so many questions about the ark and how Noah keep the animals on board and presents the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an absolutely incredible place, and millions of people have already come. ArkEncounter.com is the website, ArkEncounter.com. Well, I would certainly highly recommend it. It'll just blow you away. You can spend the whole day there and do a lot of neat things. I think it's good for kids, for adults, for science teachers, and so on. But, Ken, there are a couple of other noxious plants that grow in Darwin's garden besides racism. Talk briefly about abortion and euthanasia. What do these two noxious plants find that is so attractive in Darwin's evolutionary garden? Well, you know, once you believe that man is just an animal, that there's no God, that we're related to the apes, then, hey, get rid of spare cats, get rid of spare kids. What's the difference? In other words, the more people believe that there is no God and humans are just animals, then what's developing in a mother's womb is just an animal, so it doesn't matter whether you want to get rid of it or not. I mean, there's a direct relationship there. And it's the same for euthanasia, because once you believe man is just an animal, then as people get old and they have problems with their health and so on, then they're a burden on society, so we need to get rid of them to allow you know, the healthy to be able to survive. And it's all been applied in the past too, like Margaret Sanger who started Planned Parenthood, she was all into you know, making sure that we kill off those that are diseased or, you know, if we know these unborn are going to be handicapped in some way or whatever, we need to get rid of those and we want to have a superior race. I mean, Hitler really used evolution in his persecution of the Jews and others because he believed in this superior race. And so that's based on evolutionary ideas and unfortunately we're seeing evolution applied in our culture more and more because it really comes down to when you reject the god of creation and believe there is no god to whom we're accountable and man is just an animal then everyone does what is right in his own eyes and that's exactly what we're seeing that's the outworking of evolutionary philosophy amen well thank you ken so much hey our pleasure anytime Get the complete two-day conversation, One Race, One Blood, with Ken Ham on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144.
Ken Ham's book and DVD, One Race, One Blood, is our featured resource today. In One Race, One Blood, you'll discover the origins of people groups, the genetics of skin color, and what the Bible says about interracial marriage. Order One Race, One Blood, book and DVD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. Ministry President Dr. Kenneth Hill kicks off a special anniversary month series where we look back at some of the people that helped Watchmen on the Wall grow and expand these past 89 years. It's a good opportunity that I have today to come here and to talk with you about those who have been before us as elders of the ministry, those who have led this ministry since 1933. And so that's what we're going to be talking about for a few moments. Now, I want to read some scripture and then have some prayer, okay? Go over to Psalm 106. Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest, unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up, so he led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies, there was not one of them left. Then believed they his words, they sang his praise. Psalm 106, reading down through verse 12. Indeed, it is good to praise the Lord for the many wonderful things that he has done. His mercy endures forever. His grace is beyond our measurement. And it is indeed that our Lord has been in charge of his people and continues to be in charge of his people, even in these days. Let's pray, and then, if you will, stay with me, and 
we'll talk a little bit about leadership here at Southwest Radio Church Ministries. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us of where we have been and where you have brought us. Thank you for showing us in the history of Southwest the work that you have made known to us. Thank you for giving what you've given to us. Thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your holiness, for your happiness. Thank you for your mighty acts. And thank you for those men and women who've gone before, who have served so faithfully and have done your work without reservation. We ask your blessing upon those who lead the ministry now, and we ask you to guide us into the future. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. God is so good to us. And it's my opportunity and honor to honor the ministry of our elders, those that went before, those that are still going, and those that are still doing the work that must be done for us to continue doing what we've been called to do. In this month of our thinking about the history of Southwest Radio Church Ministry of the Air, we think of the founder, Dr. E.F. Weber. Dr. Weber was the pastor of his own congregation. There was a congregation that he pastored, and he also had his radio congregation, hence the name Southwest Radio Church. And E.F. Weber began in 1933, and he remembered what he heard from people who were on the street. As he came out of the studios, people were talking about the ministry that had just taken place on the radio. Dr. E.F. Weber never forgot that, and he continued to work in his radio congregation as hard as he worked in his physical congregation. Following Dr. E.F. Weber, when he passed from this life into the next, was his son, David Weber. And David was a prophecy scholar, a Bible teacher, and he was an excellent, excellent example of a son who followed in the father's footsteps. He continued from the 1950s until the 1980s. In the 1980s, Dr. Noah Hutchings took over the position of general manager or chief executive officer and was the one that made sure that the program was aired every day, that it was sufficient, that the teaching was correct, and that the people who were invited as guests were of the finest caliber. Dr. Noah Hutchings served in that capacity solely from the 1980s until 2005. 
He was very much a man of various seasons, and he was used of God in a mighty way. Noah Hutchings, when he passed from leadership, left the work to be done to his nephew, Bob Glaze, from the latter part of 2015 or thereabouts until 2021. David Ingram and Larry Spargimino both filled in until Bob was appointed to do as he did. And we are thankful for Mark Hitchcock, who also served along with Larry and with David. And they made sure that the ministry of Southwest Radio Church was rich in both legacy and in tenure. And so our thanks for all these who served. I began serving as president of this ministry in 2020. God knows who he wants to put into place, and God puts those people in place. When there's a need, there will be people to fill the need. That's the way God works, and I'm glad that he does. I didn't have to worry about being called to work in the ministry earlier than was necessary. I was called into the ministry to work as president when the time came, and I served from about 1993 on until 2010 as vice president of the ministry. And so I learned a lot over those years, working with Noah Hutchings, working with Bob Glaze, David Ingram, Larry Spargimino. It was a learning time for me, and still is for that matter. So that's an overview of those that have taken on the challenge and done the hard work. And we'll talk more about them during this month. We want you to support the work of SWRC, and we are asking you to pray about what you should give to the work of SWRC and to our efforts to increase the ministry and outreach of SWRC to the entire world as the Lord would guide us and as he would allow. I am delighted to be able to tell you that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. No matter who the Lord puts in leadership, from E.F. Weber all the way up to this present day, the Lord has put the right people in at the right time to do the job that he's called us to do. Thank you for praying for us, and thank you for giving to the works of SWRC. God bless you, my friend. Ken Ham's book and DVD, One Race, One Blood, are available when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144 or order online, swrc.com. As we head into the weekend, please consider giving a gift to celebrate our 89th anniversary this month. You can support the ministry and outreach of Watchmen on the Wall by visiting our website, swrc.com, 
or call 1-800-652-1144. It's your gifts that keep us on the air, proclaiming the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Thank you. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for 89 years by faithful listeners just like you. Visit swrc.com.